0: Welcome to Episode 5 of Cypher Vision: The Rise of IP Strategy. I'm Nigel Schweitzer, CEO and founder of Cypher, and I'm joined, as always, by Frankie, our co-host.
1: Hi, Nigel. I'm very excited to be back again talking about IP strategy today.
0: This is a great topic. I can think of no one actually on planet Earth I'd be more happy to talk about than Suzanne Harrison. Suzanne has been working in this area for over 30 years, if she'll admit to that as we go into the conversation. She's the confiner of the ICM Gathering, a best practice group that's been going on for over 20 years. She's written books on the subjects, Edison in the boardroom, Einstein in the boardroom. Suzanne, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Nigel and Frankie. I'm really excited to be here. For our listeners, could you maybe tell us a bit about yourself, your experience, and also give them a view into the Gathering? Sure,
2: well, I come from the corporate finance and strategy background, which is sort of not what one thinks when they hear IP expert, but I started out really interested in technology strategies. And so I worked for a consulting firm that helped me understand how to create corporate strategies. And then I moved into something that they called consulting with a little more math, which turned out to be litigation consulting, which was calculating damages for insider trading and intellectual property cases and I fell in love with the inventors and the technologies. And so a lot of what I do now is combining those two things, right? Understanding how you predict the future of technologies, but also understanding the intellectual property strategy and ways that it's utilized as a legal asset. I think that that's a little bit unusual, but that's what I find to be kind of fun. And interestingly enough, there wasn't anyone doing that when I first started my career. So I found other companies that were interested in this world of intellectual property and trying to figure out how to utilize it as a business asset. And in 1995, my colleague Pat Sullivan and I got nine of them in a room, and we began to teach each other what we knew. And that was so cathartic because up until that time, everyone told us we were a bunch of nut jobs, that this was never going to go anywhere. And why were you focusing on this? Nobody else was doing this. And we just decided it was interesting and kept persevering. And so that group, which is now called The Gathering, still meets three times a year to talk about new and emerging issues around intellectual property and tangibles, any kind of aspect within that. And figuring
1: out how to solve those problems. That's great to hear that that discussion is still ongoing. Just thinking to some of the books that you've authored, including Edison in the Boardroom and Einstein in the Boardroom, as Nigel mentioned, what drove you to write those books? And did they really get IP into the boardroom?
2: So the real foundation of the gathering was that companies were trying to understand how to, show this hidden value that they felt they had in their R&D groups or in their patent portfolios in ways that could move their stock price. And so once the gathering had been doing this and working on this problem for about five years, we had found a number of frameworks and best practices that we thought were really useful and companies across a variety of industries were actually getting definable value out of that. And so we decided to share that with everyone. I and mean, that's how we ended up writing the book. So we took the value hierarchy that Julie Davis and Arthur Anderson had created. We married the best practices of the gathering. We put in levels of sophistication. We made sure the whole thing made sense. And then we released it. Our great release date, which was going to be the highlight of my career, was September 11, 2001. <laughs> In New York, of all places. (laughs) So my great shot at fame did not happen that day. (laughs) Something slightly more important took precedence. But what happened after that was this became sort of an underground movement. The company still wanted to talk about what they were doing. They started telling two friends. Everyone started looking at the book. And lo and behold, this crazy movement started just because people were so interested in trying to find ways to help companies move their stock price and figure out how to get value out of this dormant asset. So the good news is, is that we got to the boardroom, right? I mean, all of a sudden, executives started talking about it. They were excited to find ways to turn this sunk cost into cash. It's incredibly important that the board understand it and know how to utilize it,
1: So given that as a background, and I guess we're here to talk about the rise of IP strategy, how would you actually define IP strategy? And how does it manifest itself in different organizations in your experience?
2: Strategy is derived from the Greek word strategos, which is from the work of the generals, right? It was created for military battles, right? To help you understand the lay of the battlefield, where do you want to go? And how are you going to get there? Michael Porter probably did the most to help understand and define how corporations can use strategies for their own business purposes and to create competitive advantages. So first and foremost, you're keying off of what are the corporate strategy and objectives of the firm, right? So every firm has a mission and a vision, and those are aspirational things that they're trying to achieve. It's up to the functional groups in the company, marketing, R&D, intellectual property, different groups to say, what are we doing to help the company achieve those objectives? One of the things that really was the big ahas for the gathering was that we learned that intellectual property is both a legal and a business asset. What do I mean by that? I think we all understand that intellectual property is a legal asset, right? It can restrict someone's ability to use your idea or your technology. And you can take someone to court if they are using it inappropriately or against your wishes. But what does it mean to have it as a business asset? And I think that's actually using it more proactively to generate revenue. And so we learn to separate the piece of paper from the technology. So you have a technology, you embed it in a product and a service, and you sell that. But if we just have, say, a patent, we could do things without the technology. We could take that patent. We could license it in other markets. We could do all sorts of things to generate revenue in addition to making and selling the product. And so that concept was really new. And that's what I think we're trying to get people to understand when you create a strategy is what are the two or three different ways you're going to use your portfolio to help you achieve your corporate objective? So let me give you an example. Oftentimes, companies have these big aspirational visions. A food company might say, we wanna feed the world. And you think, well, what does that have to do with intellectual property, right? And so if the vision is we wanna feed the world and the objectives are, we wanna be the leading manufacturer of food products around the world, then you have to look at your portfolio and say, what are we creating that could add to that, right? So maybe it's GMO type things. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever it is, depending on the company that you have that you think could lead or make those objectives successful. And then you would ultimately try to figure out both a filing strategy for how that would work, but also explain to the businesses how they could use it. Perhaps it's for branding. Maybe it's for strategic position. Maybe you can actually reduce costs in your supply chain.
1: That's fascinating, Suzanne. I think when you think about the fact that IP can be used in so many different ways, and for me, it would feel that a good IP strategy should include some of that information. Nigel, I'm just going to ask you for a second, what do you think constitutes good IP strategy?
0: Thanks, Frankie. This is a discussion that Suzanne and I have had over the years. And it's interesting the way it came out there that IP strategy, IP is not just a legal, it's also a business asset. It's that word and which is the connective tissue. It's that idea that you don't have intellectual property in a silo and that you don't have a business strategy in a silo. If there isn't that connective tissue, then you don't have a strategy at all. So in everything that Suzanne was saying, I was sitting here nodding, that you've got to find a reason and an objective for doing anything. You're about to consume company resources. If your company resources reputation, then you better prove that the intellectual property you're building, whether it be brands or trademarks or content or technology, the asset is performing against that objective. I know a very recent cyber vision that you and I did together, Frankie, was on return on investment. Same point, if you want to take resources from the company and you are saying that my strategy, my IP strategy will create a return against that investment, then be prepared to have data that you can show the business because that's all they respond to. They communicate with metrics, with data. Be prepared to find a metric that resonates with the business and be prepared to stand behind it so that when Suzanne says it's a legal and a business asset, People say, "Ah, yes, I can understand why that legal asset is delivering against my commercial objectives, because you can be absolutely sure they don't care about intellectual property as a wonderful legal structure. They're only asking the question, does it add value or does it mitigate risk? And if it doesn't do one of both of those things, then they will turn off.
1: Suzanne, from your standpoint, when you're looking at IP strategy, how would you define an IP strategy that is worth its salt, as it were?
2: Well, I think it should be measurable and actionable. As Nigel said, you have to be able to prove that it's providing value, whatever the value is that you want. If it's cost reduction, then calculate the cost. If it's monetization and revenue generation, then show me the value right? If it's market share, then tie it to the market share. Show me how many points you increase market share through your strategy. Those things are what's really key. And I think, you know, one of the things we're learning now is CFOs are finally recognizing that the portfolio can add value. And now they're asking the IP council, it's no longer sufficient to be a widget factory. We just churn out patents or trade secrets or copyrights. That's not sufficient. Now you need to turn out valuable things, not just a lot of things. And that's a shift that many IP counsel have not yet made. When you're in law school, you're trained to minimize risk. You're not trained to maximize value.
1: And when we're talking about IP strategy now, some of our listeners might think, well, that's just for large organizations, that that doesn't apply to me. I'm quite small. And also some might be scared off because, oh, well, I don't think it's something I can do. Well, I think that everybody needs to have a strategy. Otherwise you're just
2: wandering around in the desert wasting money as far as I can tell. So I think it's probably more important for small companies because you have such a tight budget, you don't wanna waste any time or money, right? But for all companies, you need a strategy. Do you need a consultant to create a strategy? No, you can do that yourself. As long as it's actionable and measurable and really aligns with the corporate goals and objectives, you can have a strategy. Intellectual property management is a combination of R&D, legal, and business. For a strategy, all three of those need to be aligned and moving in the same direction. And so it is that organizational change, that organizational behavioral design is really what you're bringing the consultant in for.
1: So, Nigel, thinking about your experience today as an IP lawyer and within Cypher, have you seen the client base almost give birth to IP strategy or has it been a hard process for them?
0: I certainly recognize everything Suzanne was saying about the legal profession. So many of the listeners know that I spent 25 years as an external lawyer, so not even somebody who was living and breathing the consequences of the advice I gave. And I think there are lawyers, and more historically than there are now, who are very transactional. You ask the lawyer to litigate and they will litigate to the death. Obviously, on an hourly rate model, they will hope that the death is long and painful and slow, but they will carry on with that litigation until the outcome is achieved. And equally, I used to do a lot of M&A, mergers and acquisitions, where intellectual property was critical. And uh, by the time you got to the intellectual property group inside a major law firm, we were very much in execution mode. You wanna buy those assets, we can do due diligence, we can take some warranties, we can do some indemnity, we can create large piles of paper. Now that's not strategy. And I think it's Suzanne, The Gathering, Jeremiah Chan from Facebook, Darrell Bradley from ARM, all the companies that we've had on Cypher Vision who talk about strategy in the way that, that we'd like to think it's thought about. Don't spend any money unless you can justify on a measurable way.
1: Suzanne, anything to add in terms of law firms or law departments that you've worked with? Intellectual property is much more complex today than it was then. The good news is
2: we have a better understanding of it. The bad news is we have higher expectations of it, right? Now we're really involved in transactions. We're really trying to impact market share. We're really trying to understand the technology trajectories of our competitors and our customers and making sure that we're getting there first and making sure that we can eradicate white space and the list goes on and on and on. And That's great because it's nothing but opportunity, but we haven't changed the way we educate our attorneys. And so a lot of it, I think, is also trying to find those people who want to be more business oriented and find ways to educate them so that they can go have conversations with the CFO and really sit at the table with
1: management. We're sitting here today, 20 years on. What do you think has been achieved in terms of IP strategy and what's still left to do?
2: Well, I think the good news is we got IP into the strategy bucket. We want to show that IP brings value to the firm and that it's a part of the business. And I think we've done that. The bad news is that we have more to go. Everything you guys have been talking about in the podcast, using data to tell a story, data is really the key to IP going forward. Patents are a great source of, in, of competitive information on what's happening in the world, what's happening in your industry, where the technology is going. Now you can visualize where you're going, how you sit in this battlefield vis-a-vis others. And that's really, really powerful for business people to understand that because frankly, most of them don't understand IP and just throw their hands up and say, oh, we'll just go with the lawyers. But if they understood and which they're getting to now and can see what's happening, they can make better decisions, which is really what all we're trying to do with strategy is help companies make better decisions.
1: How often do you think IP strategy needs to be changed or amended or how often should it be reviewed?
2: As long as the corporation hasn't changed its goals and objectives, then I think reviewing it annually with the business is probably all that you need.
1: Nigel, thinking about some of the timelines that are involved here, if you think about an R&D timeline or even a patent life cycle, they're pretty long. So some people might say, well, hang on, you know, we can't change our IP strategy that quickly. Are they right?
0: I think the answer is the same as the one Suzanne gave, that you review as often as is necessary, Beware of the sunk cost fallacy. The idea that I've decided to set a target is 100 patent filings in area A every year, and I'll do that for next three years. In the meantime, that business has been divested. In the meantime, the technology has proved to be worthless. I think there's been a habit of holding on for too long, but I created this asset. I can't possibly cancel it or lapse it. If they're not aligned with your business objectives, that is fundamentally the definition of a, of a stranded asset. Suzanne just mentioned reviewing IP strategy once a year. I've known organizations who think it's once every three years. And that's, to my mind, nuts. nothing is the same in three years' time as it, it is today. So at least once a year, or as often as is necessary, dictated by what the market's doing, what the business is doing.
2: Nigel, you said something that's really profound that we learned in the gathering is that value is contextual for intellectual property, right? And intangibles. Again, putting your finance hat on, that all of a sudden becomes a new source of value for companies. And so, again, we have all these options that we didn't have before. That optionality is, I think, one of the more important things to come out of the gathering. A patent is an option on a potential value stream, how you choose to call that option is your choice.
1: So we've talked a little bit about how things have improved and just thinking about the future, the growing importance of IP. Suzanne, what do you think the message would be from you to our IP colleagues out there? What more should they be doing now and looking to the future?
2: Data, right? I mean, data is going to make your life a lot easier and also more complex. Right now, diversity and innovation is a really big topic that companies are struggling with. And in particular, how we measure diversity and innovation can be through the patent portfolio. And what we're finding is it's also pointing out where bias exists in our system. We all have unconscious bias. Additionally, another thing that's happening is countries are understanding that intellectual property is important. And we can also begin to see that countries are using patents as data options as well. And you can begin to see how they're moving and choosing which technologies to invest in or what's becoming strategic to the country by looking at their portfolio. So these patents as information assets is going to change how legal groups are going to respond both in the company, but also as we think about it on a country to country basis.
0: Suzanne, this is a huge topic. We're so grateful for your time and for sharing your experiences. At the end of the podcast, we always like to end with the guest's cipher vision. What's your key message you'd like to leave with our listeners?
2: I think that it's without a clear strategy. Your organization has no idea where you're heading, how to get there, or how to measure success. You're just wandering around in the desert wasting resources, and that's just not sustainable in today's fast-paced business environment. So, get a strategy, get organized, and deliver actionable results. Trust me, your management will thank you for it.
0: IP strategy seems so obvious in a world where 80% of enterprise value is intangible, but these changes have not happened overnight and don't happen on their own. It's not just the IP community that owes a debt of gratitude for the energy and enthusiasm of Suzanne and the communities she fosters. The topic is one which must be embraced by the business. It's also a topic that we believe will grow in significance as the financial community looks for ever more signals to help differentiate companies from an innovation and ESG perspective. Those who ignore IP strategy or think that it will look after itself are simply missing real opportunities for value creation, while at the same time inviting unnecessary risk. Thank you, Suzanne, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for tuning into the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag Cyphervision and share your thoughts about today's episode on the rise of IP strategy. Tune into our next podcast, where we'll be speaking to Beau Haydn, co-director of the Center for Intellectual Property at Gothenburg University and visiting professor at the University of California, Berkeley, on how IP education can bridge the gap between law, business and technology.